God has given us all gifts, and, and we're going to look at uh, one gift tonight. We're going to start looking at some of these the spiritual gifts in the weeks and months ahead, and uh, we're going to look at the gift of prophecy or hearing God's voice. And what I'm going to do, the way we're going to do this, I'm going to teach for a while. Um, there's a lot of info, but there's also a lot of stories and illustrations, and a lot of them are personal because... I can only speak out of my own experience. Um, and so, but I find that when, when we're talking about this stuff, it can be kind of cerebral, it can be kind of just intellectual, unless we earth it in real examples. Um, so please, while I would say excuse if there's too many personal stories sometimes, um, I, I know when I'm listening to other people, it's the personal stories that I actually really like. Um, and so that's how I, I teach um, and if you don't like that, there's other places you can listen to better preachers than me. But uh, that's what you've got. Uh, George Jeffries, uh, some of you might have heard of him. He was a famous Welsh minister. Yeah, you want to see me in all my glory, don't you? Um, famous Welsh minister. He founded the Elam Pentecostal Church. George Jeffries, the Elam Pentecostal Church. And about 110 years ago, he became a Christian in the Welsh revival in 1904. Then about six years later he got baptised in the spirit at an Anglican church in Sunderland. And a new power came upon him. He started preaching all over the place. People came to Christ. He planted churches. He moved here to Northern Ireland. That's why you'll find a lot of Elam churches actually in Northern Ireland. More than you'll find in most places um, in the country, in the UK. Because he spent a lot of time in Northern Ireland. He established Elam churches. And then he moved back to England. And, uh, and he was one of the most anointed preachers and evangelists the UK ever had. So this was in the early 20th century, sort of in the 1910s, 1920s. Fast forward to 1962. Many of you will have heard of Billy Graham, I'm sure. How many of you have heard of Reinhard Bonnke? Okay. That's how you know you're in a charismatic church, isn't it? <laughs> I love his name, Reinhard Bonnke. Um, and yet, he, he's perhaps one of the great. He's perhaps the greatest evangelist of, of the last fifty years. Um, he has seen more people saved than any other person alive. And I heard a story about him just in the last few weeks. He, when he was twenty-two years old, he had just graduated. Reinhard Bonnke had just finished Bible College in London. He had a free day, so he decided to get on one of those hop-on buses and and, and see the sights. And he's on the bus, and as the bus is going along, he feels the Holy Spirit speak to him and say, get off the bus now. This was at Clapham Junction. And so he obeyed the prompting. He got off the bus, found himself wandering around the streets of London with no idea why God had told him to get off the bus. And then he came upon the plaque of a house, and on the house it said George Jeffries, the guy who had talked about had founded the Elam Movement. And he thought to himself, oh, this couldn't be the house of the George Jeffries that we have learned about at Bible College. But he was unsure, and then the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, you'll never know if you don't ask. And so he knocked the door. There was a woman answered, and, but Reinhard Bonk, he said, is this the house that belongs to George Jeffries, who, the great evangelist, and the, the George Jeffries who shook England in the 1940s? And she said, yes. Is he alive? Yes. Does he live in this house? Yes. Is he now in the house? Yes. Can I see him? No. And then he heard a deep voice coming from the inside. Let him come in. When he walked in, he saw a frail old man. And after some introductions, Mr. Jeffries laid his hands upon Reinhard Bonnke and prayed for him and blessed him and put his mantle upon him. And Bonnke said he, stand, he staggered out of the door because the presence of God was so heavy on him. I just I get jealous when I hear stories like that, don't you? <laughs> and so Reinhard Bonnke then left. He had finished Bible college. He returned to Germany the next day to see his family. His father met him at the railway station, and after exchanging a few pleasantries, his father said, Reinhard, did you hear the news? What news? George Jeffries just passed away. No, that can't be true. I was just with the man yesterday. Then all of a sudden he, he realized that he had caught something from the previous generation. One generation was passing on the mantle to the next. And it all started because he was on a bus. And he heard a voice, a whisper, and he obeyed the voice. And I just, I wonder how many times we miss out on 
encounters and experiences of God at work because we, we hear that voice, but we think it's our own thoughts. We think it's just us. You see, the biggest hurdle and the biggest uh, thing that people have to get over when they talk about hearing God's voice is this, that God's voice sounds very much like your thoughts. When people used to say God said, I used to think, you know, like, did it, like was it a booming voice? Like, hey, Craig, go to little third aisle, you'll see a girl with brown hair. Go and tell her that I love. I used to think that's what God's voice would sound like. And over time I've come to realize, you know what? His voice sounds very like my thoughts. And we'll get to why that is, but we're going to talk about hearing God's voice. And it's one of those issues that can cause a lot of confusion because in some circles when you hear talk about hearing voices, they want to lock you up um, and throw away the key. But we're going to look at, at questions like this. Does God speak today? Because there are some people who believe God doesn't speak today. If so, how does God speak? And then how can I get better at hearing him? So the God who speaks... It's been estimated, and I don't know who did the science here, ladies, but on average, women speak 20,000 words a day and men speak 7,000 words a day, which to me seems pretty low for us men and pretty low for those women as well. Uh, but, uh, but whether you're a woman or a man, the fact is that we are humans who desire to communicate. We desire to communicate our hearts, our thoughts, our desires, our emotions. We want others to understand how we think and feel, and that shouldn't surprise us, because the Bible says very clearly that you and I are made in the image and likeness of our Creator, God. And our God is a God who speaks the whole way through the Bible, we see this. Think of the very first chapters of Genesis. God's creating the world, and what does he say? What, what, what do we see? God saw that it was dark, or God saw, and then God said. God saw, and God said. God said, let there be. Let there be light, and there was light. And then he creates Adam and Eve, and immediately he speaks to them, and they speak back to him. So as humans made in the image of God, one of the inherent things, one of the, 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 the things about humans that sets them, them apart is that we speak a language because we are made in the image of God who speaks. And God says to the Adam and Eve, go and name the animals, go and have dominion, go and have authority. And Adam and Eve speak to each other and they speak to God and then we have to fall. And obviously that damages the relationship that, that humans have with God. That cuts off the, the communication a little bit. But even then, the whole way throughout the Testament, we see a God who is still trying to speak. He is still longing to speak to his people, to reach out to them, to communicate his love and his heart for them. He gives them ten commandments, stone tablets. He said, this is how I want you to live. He speaks through anointed leaders and judges and, and prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Hosea. He communicates in visions and dreams to people, even from the young to the old, from the, 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 the old Samuel to the young, or the old Eli to the young Samuel, who hears God's voice as he's serving in the temple. And doesn't recognize it until the third time when the old prophet says to him, Say, speak, Lord, because I'm listening. And then we, he even speaks through a, a donkey at one stage. And if God can speak through a donkey, my thought is, if God can speak through a donkey, he might be able to speak even through me. He speaks through nature. He speaks through visions and dreams. He speaks through signs and rainbows and storms. He speaks through a burning bush. So the whole way through the Old Testament, we see that God's heart, in whatever way he can, he wants to communicate. And then we get to the New Testament, and we see that God has spoken most fully in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. It says that in Hebrews. In latter times, God spoke in many and various ways through the prophets, but he has spoken to us in these days through his son, Jesus Christ. And what does John call Jesus in John chapter 1? The word become flesh. The word become flesh. And so when we think about hearing God's voice and, and prophecy, we need to understand this, that our God is a God who speaks. Our God is not silent. Our God is a God who loves to communicate. He's longing to communicate with his people. He wants to speak to you more than you want to hear him speak. Look at Psalm 139, 17, 18. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I cannot even count them. They outnumber 
the grains of sand. You know, when you're in love with someone, you think about them a lot. I remember, that sounded like, I was about to say I remember when I first started dating Becky, I was in love with her, but I'm still in love with her. And I was just, I couldn't stop talking about her. Thank goodness she's not here tonight. Um, it's going to be a cold night in the Cooney house. But uh, we, we, for the first two months, we emailed each other with Bebo. Some of you will remember Bebo. Remember Bebo? Before, yeah, Malcolm, Mal loved Bebo, yeah. Mal still is Bebo. You can find Mal's MySpace profile. Um, but Bebo, we Beboed each other every day. That's what we did for two months before our first date. And three times a day we would be on Bebo. And, and I remember I was in Shankill Parish in Lurgan and I would be doing a wedding or even a funeral, I'm ashamed to admit, and I'd be thinking, I can't wait to get home and see what she's Beboed me. And, uh, and I, just, I just couldn't wait. I wanted to hear from her. I couldn't wait to hear from her. And I, couldn't, I, I, found all, I just wanted to talk about her. I found every excuse to talk about her. Her. If somebody said you want a polo, I'd said you know Becky drives a Volkswagen Polo. I mean, it was up. It was just like roll your eyes. It was like I just, you know, and, and, and imagine if every time I thought of her, every thought I had about her, I got one little grain of sand and put in a bowl. Grain of sand in a bowl. Grain of sand in a bowl. At the end of a month or a year, as many thoughts as I have about my wife to be at that stage, it still wouldn't be a whole pile of sand. Now, the Bible says that the thoughts that God has about you outnumber all the grains of sand. Do you get that? The thoughts that God has about you, that includes beaches, that includes deserts. For some of you, that includes golf course bunkers. The, The thoughts that God has about you outnumber the grains of sand. And so when we think about prophecy, when we think about hearing God's voice, here's what we're doing. We're simply picking up on some of God's thoughts and expressing them. If he has all these millions of thoughts about you, these thoughts that outnumber the grains of sand, prophecy is us simply taking hold of one of those grains and communicating it. Isn't that a really simple, lovely way to think about it? That God is thinking about someone and you're saying, God, give me, let me pick up on one of those thoughts that you're having. And he gives you one of those thoughts and you just simply pass it. You pass the grain of sand along. And you say, this is what God's thinking about you right now. And, 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 and every Christian can hear God's voice. In John 10, Jesus is talking a familiar passage about the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd who looks after the sheep. And look at what it says in verses 2 to 5. The one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens a gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them. And they follow him. This is it. Because why? They know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. So he is the good shepherd. We are his sheep. And you know, the first time a shepherd meets a sheep, it doesn't recognize his voice. That happens over time, doesn't it? The first time a shepherd talks to a sheep, a sheep just ignores him. But over time, the shepherd and the sheep develop this bond. The shepherd and the sheep spend time together. The sheep begins to trust the shepherd that when he will lead him to good places to feed, he will protect him when the wolves come. He will, he will provide for him what he needs. It's something that they learn over time. They learn to differentiate his voice, it says, from other voices. They won't follow a stranger. And that's something that happens over time. We learn to discern God's voice from other voices. We learn to discern God's voice from what's just our, what is just our own thoughts. We learn to discern God's voice from what's maybe the enemy's thoughts. And we learn to discern God's voice from maybe what other people are trying to say to us. And the key is relationship. Over time, he develops a relationship with us, his sheep. And therefore, we know that it is him speaking to us. That we listen to him and that we obey him. You know, from the moment our little boy Elijah was born, I talked to him. And at first, you know, he couldn't understand what I said. Like, he could hardly understand a thing. But even when he didn't understand, I spoke to him because I loved him and I still wanted to communicate with him. He couldn't talk back. He couldn't understand. He couldn't communicate. But I'm his father. And I wanted to speak to him. And within just a few months, I would walk in the door. And even if he couldn't see me when I spoke, he would turn around because he knew my voice. When I said his name, he turned around. 
when I told him, go and get me a cup of tea, he went and got it. No, but, but, but some of you might think, you know, I'm, I'm a new Christian. I'm not a mature Christian. I, I, I haven't a lot of experience in this stuff. You know, that's for pastors and prophets and mature Christians. And, you know, that's simply not true. I didn't look at Elijah when he was born and say, you know what, I'm not going to talk to you until you're 10 years old because you're not really going to understand it. And it's a bit of a waste of my time. You know, I could talk to other people because you won't get it anyway. And, you know, no, it's his birthright. It's his birthright as my child for him to hear his father's voice. It's your birthright to hear God's voice. If you're a son or a daughter of God, it is your birthright to hear his voice. In John 16, Jesus said this. There's so much more I want to tell you. This is just the night before he dies. But you can't bear it now. But he says, when the spirit of truth, that's the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you, he, um, he will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by taking whatever he receives from me. So Jesus said to his followers before he dies, he says, there's so much more I want to communicate to you, but there's just there's so much that I don't have time. I, and, 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 and there's more than you can handle right now. But, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised from the dead. I'm going to go back to the right hand of the Father. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to speak to the Holy Spirit and he's going to tell you what I want you to do. I'm going to speak to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will communicate what. So, so it's going to be exactly like having me with you. Jesus says, if I'm beside you, but the Holy Spirit would be the one who's communicating what I want to say to you. I wonder what Jesus would say if he was standing looking at us right now. If Jesus was standing beside you right now, I wonder what he would say. You know, it's such a privilege to hear God's voice. In the Old Testament times, certain people could hear God speak. The prophets could hear God speak. And only a few people, you know, but God promised with the coming of the Holy Spirit that every Christian would be able to hear and communicate the heart of God. Remember what Joel prophesied in the Old Testament that Peter then quotes in Acts chapter 2. Look at, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I don't know what the young and old, I don't know what the cutoff line is there, but I've started dreaming more dreams recently, so I don't know what's going on there. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. So what will mark God's people in the last days? First of all, they will be a people who have the Holy Spirit poured out in them. I will pour out my spirit on all people. We will be empowered and equipped by God's spirit to demonstrate Jesus to the world around us. And the result of having the Holy Spirit poured out on us will be what? It will be that we will be a prophetic people. They will prophesy, it says. And look at how indiscriminate God is. God doesn't discriminate. Men and women. God isn't sexist. Young and old. God isn't ageist. Servants. God doesn't care what social class you are. A little girl at five years old can hear God's voice just as much as a pastor at 60 years old. So what I've tried to establish here as a foundation is that our God is a God who speaks and that as Christians, as children of God, he wants to speak to us. Okay, that's the foundation tonight that we're starting from. How does God speak then? We've said that God speaks, he wants to speak to us. How does he speak? The first way is the Bible, through this book. The primary way God speaks to his people is through his written word. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, many of you will know it all. Scripture is God-breathed. That word God-breathed literally means, we say inspired, but the Greek word literally means expired. It's like God breathed upon the pages of a book. He breathed his breath upon them. And so this book is not like any other book. This is not like a John Grisham novel or your Easton's bestseller. This book is the word of God. God, we stand on it. I love there was an article in one of the big UK papers today. And do you know what the research shows? They've done extensive research of churches. That churches are, that are growing are those that believe the Bible is the word of God. Shocker. 
You can read, I, I saw the article, and it was, it was a big Canadian study, but I think it was in the Independent maybe today or yesterday. The only, the churches, the main churches that are growing are the ones that take the Bible seriously, and those that are in decline are the ones that don't take the Bible seriously. God blesses churches that take his word seriously. And that's how we're going to see God's blessing, one of the ways in this church. Because we will be a church that, that opens this book week in, week out, and hears what God says to us through this book. Because I know many Christians who would rather chase a prophet halfway around the world to get an answer that's already in here. And I have nothing against chasing prophets. But don't go chasing them if God's already spoken because he's not going to say anything through that prophet unless he's a dodgy prophet that he hasn't already said in here. If you want God to speak to you regularly, make it a daily habit to spend time in this word. If you can only get two or three minutes, get two or three minutes. If you can get half an hour, get half an hour. But spend time in his word. And if you want to prophesy, you've got to get to know this book. God will never say anything to anyone that, he, that contradicts what he has already said. Those who want to prophesy, if you don't know at least the basics of the Bible, you probably will get into trouble because you'll end up prophesying stuff that's not in line with God's word. So the main way God speaks, I want to say, be really clear, is through the Bible. Secondly, visions and pictures. Visions and pictures. That could be just a fleeting image that comes into your mind. Sometimes you'll be in worship, sometimes you'll be praying, and just a picture, a snapshot, comes into your mind. And you're like, oh, oh just where did that come from? That, that very often is God speaking to you. You know, I, I have many people come up to me and they'll just say, Craig, I, I saw a picture of, you know, somebody came to me and, and they said, I saw a picture of you with an axe chopping through something, or I saw a picture of you, I, I saw a picture of this church with little green shoots, and, and they'll just share just a picture they got. And, 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 that, and when you hear the same picture two or three times, you go, okay, God's really starting to speak to me through that. It could be an extended vision that lasts for some time. It's almost like you're, you're watching something on a screen in front of you. That's a little bit like what happened Paul in Acts 16. It says Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia. So he, he has this vision. It's almost like a screen or a picture. or It's just this visual thing he sees in the spirit. Of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over here to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. You know, when we, uh, some of you will have heard me tell this story, that when we were in Dublin, um, I was, uh, we, we were due to go on sabbatical. Um, and this was probably about six weeks before that. And at about 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning, I'm up praying. I don't do that all the time. I'm not that spiritual. But sometimes I do get up and would pray for a few hours during the night. Um, and, 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 and as I'm praying, I, I, just, I got a vision. I, just, I don't get a lot of them, but I got a really clear vision. And the vision was of a prison door opening, of a cell. And I'd been praying, God, will you open doors for us for the next place that you want us to go to? And, and the prison door, and God, I felt God said, I'm opening a door, but it's not for the next place. It's for me to release you from where you are because we hadn't felt a sense of relief from, from the church there. And we don't want to go anywhere that God, we don't want to leave anywhere that God hasn't released us from. And a prison door, and it, it was as clear as can be, a prison door opened, and I walked out. I didn't tell the church in Dublin this because it made them sound like a prison. Um, but I walked out, and the whole way along the corridor, I'm thinking to myself, would there be anybody outside waiting for me? Will there be anybody outside waiting for me? And I had to keep walking free. Will there be anybody outside waiting for me? And I remember in the vision, the big gate, because I had done prison ministry, so I knew what the inside of a prison was like. And the big gate opened, and there was a car full of smiling faces waiting for us. And it was God saying very clearly to us, I want you to leave here, but I'm not telling you what's on the other side. You have to trust me and walk out of here. I'm releasing you from here, but I'm not telling you what's going to happen on the other side. But you have to trust that I'll have somebody waiting for you. And so we both, within a week, quit our jobs. Like, both of us. Like, Becky had got a job that she'd waited four years for as a senior speech therapist in Dublin. I quit the church. We, we handed him a notice in the church. I mean, just 
ludicrous, like madness. Um, but God had spoken. He had released us. And we went in sabbatical. We came home. We moved to the north coast. And the last week of my... And, and I'm starting to struggle, to be honest. About two, three weeks. We had another month of sabbatical at the end of the, the time in the north coast. First month on the north coast after we came back from the States after a few months. Um, we, we were still in sabbatical until the, the middle end of September, sometime around there. And as two weeks, as three weeks went on, I began to panic. I'm being honest. I, my friend Andrew Linus owns Linus Food. You see the Linus Food Service vans? I dropped Andrew an email saying, can I come and work in your assembly line? That's how I was starting to... I, I had to put food on the table for my family. and I was, I, I'll do anything. I mean, I literally, I'll work any... And I, I was very happy to go and work on the assembly line or drive a lorry or whatever he wanted me to do. And he didn't get back to me, and I thought that was really rude. <laughs> and... Uh, it turned out that Andrew is a trustee of the Causeway Coast Vineyard. And the last week of my sabbatical, Alan Scott, who was a pastor and founder of the Causeway Coast Vineyard, phoned me and said, can we go for coffee? We went for coffee. He said, we want you to come and work here, you and Becky. I said, doing what? He said, drop your own job description. And I said, right. And he said, does Becky want to work? I said, a little bit, part-time. He says, draw one up for her as well. I said, well, like... How, is this okay? Like, can you pay me? <laughs> and he said, you know what? Before you went on sabbatical, I went to the trustees. And I said, if you guys ever move here, we want to have you working in the church. So the finances have already been approved before you even went away on your sabbatical. Before you even went away on your sabbatical. Before we even decided to move to Port Stewart, three months later, God had already had that car waiting for us with smiling faces. on the basis of just a very clear vision. I don't get a lot of those. I'd love to get more of them. But sometimes when you don't get a lot of them, you really know it's God. I'll talk about dreams in a minute, and I'll say the same about that. You know, sometimes I'll get a vision for people as I'm praying for them. I remember praying for a girl in CFC last year in Belfast Christian Fellowship Church. And I didn't really know anything about her. And I said, look, I I see you. She was a girl probably in her early 20s. I see you sitting outside a club in a place like Magaluf, I said, because I'd been to Magaluf back on mission trips back in May. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I said, I see you. And I, I knew the strip in Magaluf. I knew what it was like, the, the main club area, just from outreach. And, uh, and I said, I see you sitting on a step outside a club at about 3 o'clock in the morning being sick and crying out to God and saying, God, there's got to be more than this. I knew not. She said, you know what, that's exactly how I got saved. Number one. She said, I got sitting outside a club in, in Magaluf. And she said, you know what the other thing is? I'm going out to 24-7 prayer in Magaluf to work with girls in the streets out there. And, and God, that just all came through a picture, through a vision. Uh, and it confirmed to her that God very clearly was speaking to her and calling her to do that. And what I would say, when God speaks through pictures, it's normally fairly straightforward. I mean, the, 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 the prison one was a, took a little bit of interpretation, and we'll get to that in a minute. That other one was just, I see you doing this, and she went, I've done that, and I'm doing that. that I mean, you know, like sometimes people will come up and they'll say things like, you know, I, I, I want to just leave this with you. I, I see a picture of a dolphin on a bicycle going across a tightrope with red sunglasses on. I just want to leave that with you. And you walk, and, they, and you're like... I have no idea what to do, you know? Like, that sounds good, but you know what? Like, I, you know, like, I, I don't think... I, I, you say, I'll leave that on the shelf. That's the spiritual way of, of saying, I have no idea, go away. Um, <laughs> dreams. Dreams. You know, we all dream every night. Sometimes we remember them more than others. But now and, now and again, you will have a dream that would be a prophetic dream. You will wake up, and I find... I, I have very few of these. I've probably had... Three to four in my life that I've just... But you wake up and you just go, there was something different about that dream. Yeah? Have you experienced that? Where you just... And you normally wake up just after it. And you go, that was so vivid and so real that there was just something different about that dream. That wasn't your run-of-the-mill dream. And that's why it's good. If, If that happens, scribble it down. Find somewhere, get up and scribble it down because when you wake up four hours later, you'll have forgotten half of it probably. And, 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 and so when you, but, but that's God speaking and, uh, through it, and it can be very vivid and very significant. 
Sometimes it's a warning. Sometimes in a dream, God will show you a warning about something. You might see something or someone in your dream, and you just you take note of it, and then three weeks later, something happens, and you're like, that is a, it feels like a deja vu. It's like, that's exactly what I dreamt about. I know of a pastor who dreamt. He had started, planted a church, and in a dream, he saw a guy walking in with a Bible under his arm, da, 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 and in the dream, God said, that's a false prophet. And, and the following Sunday, the guy walks in, the Bible exactly as in the dream God was warning him sometimes it can be preparation God prepares us through dreams think about Joseph the story of Joseph God spoke to him through dreams and then later he was used to interpret Pharaoh's dreams when two full years had passed Pharaoh had a dream it says he fell asleep again and had a second dream you see there's literal dreams and then there's symbolic dreams Literal dreams like that one about the girl in, in, in Magaluf, it's just a literal dream. It doesn't take a lot of interpretation. Symbolic ones, like the door opening and the prison and me walking out, took a little bit of interpretation, but it was still for me very, very clear. How else might God speak? Number four, impressions and thoughts. And, and like I said, that's the most common way he speaks to me, just a thought that comes to my mind. And like I said, many of us are are hearing God speak, but we're not recognizing it because we're expecting some external booming voice from out there to come and speak in here. You know, we need to understand this, that, that in the Old Testament, let's, for, let's imagine this symbolizes God in the Old Testament. God was out there. God was in the temple. God was in the Holy of Holies. The presence of God was out there. And so if you wanted to go to God, you had to go to the temple. You had to sacrifice. You couldn't get too close. The high priest went in once a year, the great high priest on your behalf, and, and the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. But you couldn't get too close. But God's presence was external to you. And, you, and so for God to speak, God was going to speak to somebody out there, and they were going to externally speak to you. But we get to the New Testament. We get to the era of the Holy Spirit. And God went from being out there to being in here. The Bible says that you are a temple of God. That God lives inside you. So why are you waiting for an external voice when God is in here? If he's going to speak to you, he's most likely going to speak to you in here. His Holy Spirit and your human spirit are together. They're united. That's what 1 Corinthians tells us, that our spirit and God's spirit are united now. He has brought our dead spirit to life and united his spirit with us. And so when God speaks, he's going to speak inside us. He's going to speak to our minds. He's going to speak to our hearts. Through our thoughts, through impressions. But we're often going to think, that's just me. We've probably nearly all experienced that we've had somebody on our mind for a few days. Somebody maybe we haven't thought about in a while. And then we bump into them. And you say, you doing okay? You've been on my mind the last few days? And they go, actually, no, I'm not. Somebody that God prompts you to pray for. And you pray for them and you see them a day or two later. And you say, look, I was praying for you this week. And they, go, they say, oh, the worst week ever. Most of us will have experienced that. That's God prompting us. To pray for some people. God's God speaking to us inside us. I remember in Lurgan when I was in Shankle, I was it was about five to one one day. I had to be in Dollings Town for one o'clock for lunch. And I'm driving through Mournview. I drive past this house of this family who had visited twice in hospital, but they didn't come to church at all. Um, I only knew them because they were on our parish roll and and I'd visited them twice in hospital. And as I'm driving past this house, it's five to one. I've got to get to Donaldstown for one, so I'm just moving. God says, you need to stop and call at that house. And I'm like, oh, I'm going on. God says, you need to stop. And I drive around the block, and I come back to the house. And I sheepishly go up to the door, and I knock the door, and I open the door, and the wife and the family comes to the door and just starts crying her eyes out. I'm like, oh, no. You know, that wasn't the reaction and welcome I expected. And she says, come in, Craig, come in. And she said, my husband has a CAT scan this afternoon and we are terrified. Why are you here? And I said, I was driving past and God, I felt, and I was able to pray with them and, and minister to them. And it meant so much that God actually cared enough about them to stop me just for a few minutes, but it was just that listening to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. 
often a prophetic word will just come in the form of a small seed. It'll just be an impression, just a small part. But as you begin to speak it out, God gives you the rest. You'll get a little nugget of it. You'll get a little sample of it. But you actually need to speak it out. 1 Corinthians 39 says that we know in part and we prophesy in part. I think this means a number. I'd read this a thousand times and never really got what it means. We know in part. We know in part. I think that's talking about our natural human knowledge. There's things we just know about people. Even just our natural human senses. Very often I can look at someone and know if they're suffering from a depression. That's not God telling me. It's just as a human person, looking at another human person, I can look at them and know they're struggling with depression maybe. I know in part. That's a human part. We can look at someone and, and just pick up stuff about them. We can learn stuff about them. We can receive stuff just from, from looking at them. We're looking at their behavior, seeing their expression. But then it says we prophesy in part. That's the God factor. That's where there's information that you could never have known by any human source. That's where God gives you stuff for somebody that you couldn't have learned just from looking at them. But I also think we prophesy in part means that God gives us a part. God gives us a little nugget, a little piece of information, and we have to take that little piece and start speaking out. And as we do that in faith, God gives us the rest. That's how nearly always that happens with me when I'm praying with someone, is I will just get a little snapshot, a little thought, a little, and I will just start to pray into it, and God will give me more and more and more. He'll reveal more. And you know what we prophesy in part also means? That we don't get it always right. We are not living under the era of the Old Testament anymore. In the Old Testament, if you were a prophet and you got it wrong, you know what happened? You got stoned, and not in the Amsterdam kind of way. Okay? You you got stoned to death. We are not living under that covenant. We are living under a new covenant. And you know what? If you prophesy over people, sometimes you will get it wrong. Or you will get part of it wrong. I've had people prophesy over me regularly and get it wrong. You know what? I always, like had somebody really just like not that long ago prophesied over me and it was way off. I mean, because just the, it, it was just before we were coming here and they just said it's going to be a long time before you go to a church. Or, it was something like that. Literally, it was like the week before we were, were due to like announce publicly we were coming to Hope. I got this email from somebody that they, uh, that had a dream and, and it's going to be a long time before you, you know, and, and I, I knew it was way off. I just emailed them and said, thank you so much for that. And they emailed me then a few weeks after it was announced, then a week later on Facebook. And they were, they were scundered. They were really embarrassed. You know what? I said, I'm so thankful you still did that. Thank you. I would rather you would take the risk because they've spoken other things in the past that had been really accurate. And I don't want them then to think, well, I got that wrong. I can't do that again. You know, we've got to, we prophesy in part. Other things they've prophesied have been really accurate. That one was wrong. That doesn't mean they don't do it. And I just said, look, thank you. I'd rather you would do it a hundred times and get it right once than never do it at all. And so we've got to be a, a church where actually it's okay just to get it wrong sometimes. It's okay if somebody prophesies over you or you prophesy for them to go, actually, I'm not sure about that. You know what? The, you just say, I'll, I'll, but I will park it. I'll, I'll keep it. I'll write it down and I'll keep it. And you know, sometimes you'll think that something's wrong and actually you look back three years later and go, actually, that was wrong then, but three months later that actually started to happen in my life. Sometimes you will prophesy over someone and they'll just give you a blank look and you'll be like, I have no idea. Have you ever done that? Like you're giving them your best word, like your be- and they just are blank. And you're like, was it right? Was it wrong? Where did it land? And they give you nothing. You cannot judge a prophecy by the response. Very often God does his deepest work when it doesn't seem like much is happening. I always say this, that there's not a lot of noise in intensive care. I've had to comfort myself as a preacher sometimes. When I I preach my heart out a message that I believe God has given me and there's just nothing out there. Or it feels like there's just a heaviness. And God spoke to me, I felt, and said, there's not a lot of noise and talking in intensive care. When I'm doing my deepest work, sometimes it's the quietest place and the least responsive place. A prophetic word can come in three ways. You don't 
You might get the whole revelation up front. God gives you the whole thing up front, and that's great when that happens, okay? So that's one way. But often you only get a part of it, and it's only as you take that step of faith and speak it out that God gives you the rest. Remember, sometimes you'll be drawn to things. I was praying with somebody once, and I just kept getting drawn to their wedding ring. You'll get drawn maybe to a brooch, a badge, or something, maybe their shoes, or, or something. I kept getting drawn to the wedding ring, and I said, God, what is that? And, and I felt God says about covenant. I want you to remind them that I'm a covenant-keeping God, and that I keep my word. And if I've spoken to... And I said, I feel like God wants to tell you he's a covenant-keeping God. And um, he's spoken some things to you in the past, and you haven't seen them fulfilled. And even this week, you've been questioning them, and you've been feeling like maybe I didn't hear God's voice, but God wants you to know that he has spoken to you, to hold da 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 And they just went, that's exactly what I needed to hear. But it started with me just seeing a ring and going with it. And as I went with it, maybe you'll look at their feet and you'll just go, I just, I keep getting drawn to your feet. I feel like God wants to tell you that he wants to take you on a journey. He wants to, you know, he's walking or whatever that can be. Sometimes you'll just be drawn to something in somebody's life. Or sometimes you will think about somebody else that reminds you of them. Or, Or somebody, so maybe you'll think like, I'm trying to think. You'll be praying with somebody and you'll see Margaret Thatcher. I'm just, that was the first person randomly that came to my mind. And you'll go, I, Lord, what does that mean? And you'll go, I, I believe God wants, you know, Margaret Thatcher was the Iron Lady. And I believe God wants to tell you that he's going to give you an infusion of courage. He's going to give you a rod of iron on your back. Because you're going to face opposite. You can see, you know what I mean? You see where that goes. So you have this random thought about Margaret Thatcher and you're like, is that God? Is that the devil? Depending on your conservative or Tory, you'll decide. Um, or or Labour. Um, but, uh, but a thought about somebody that just randomly or somebody you know or somebody, and, and you'll go, actually, there's something about that person that God is wanting to connect with this person. So just be aware of those things. I'm trying to be really practical here with you because sometimes prophecy can be this thing that's up there. And I, I just... I just wanted to be as practical. So there's, honestly, prophecy is a mixture, mixture of inspiration and perspiration. It's a mixture of God speaking and you sweating and just going, God, I'm just going to go with this. I'm not sure if it's you, but I'm going to go with this. So that's in many ways God speaks through his word, the Bible, through visions and pictures, dreams, impressions, thoughts. However, occasionally some people hear the audible. I've never heard the audible voice of God. Some people do. I would love to. I've never heard the audible voice of God. I've never seen, I don't think I've seen an angel. There's times I've sensed the angels in the room. Even in this room, since we've come here. At times I've sensed the angels and other people have told me they've sensed it. Other places I've sensed the angels. I've never seen a physical that I know of, though sometimes it says we entertain angels unaware. It could be a song you hear. That there's a line in a song and you just, you've maybe heard the song a hundred times and there's a line in a song and you just go, there's something about that line. I've been singing that song all week. Every morning when I wake up, and I don't know why, you're sovereign over us. Do you know the one we sang? If you, your plan is still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. You're with us through the fire. And I, just God's speaking to me through that. Sometimes on a Sunday when I'm preaching, there'll just be something. Sometimes people come up to me and say, you know, that really spoke to me the way you said that this morning. I go, I didn't. I won't say it, but I go, I didn't say that. You know, but God said something to them through it. As long as it's not heretical, I don't mind. Um, but or, or sometimes people, very often, somebody will go, it felt like it was only me in the room. It felt like you were speaking just to me. And that's because God has taken his word, and by his spirit, he's speaking directly to somebody's heart. God isn't limited to one language. You could even look at a billboard in the street. And you just read a billboard, and God just draws you to it. A van drives past, and there's something written on the side of it. You just go, God, I just I think there's something in that that you're speaking to me about. If he wants to communicate to you, he will get to you in whatever way he can. Some practical points as we finish up this bit. Okay. I'm a celebrity's audit nine. <laughs> I'm only joking. <laughs> kind of. Um, some practical points. Number one. <laughs> Some of you are like, I didn't know that. <laughs> I might just have to go to the toilet at 10 to 9. <laughs> I don't have Sky Plus. Um, some practical points. Speak from love. Speak from love. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, 
I am nothing. Do you know the two chapters in the Bible that Paul speaks the most about spiritual gifts? 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14. What's in the middle of first, What's in the middle of twelve and fourteen? I want to clown, and even I can tell you it's thirteen. Okay. What's First Corinthians thirteen? Love. Right in the middle of all his talk about spiritual gifts, he puts a full chapter on love. Because love is the jam in the sandwich that holds the whole thing together. Otherwise, it goes off to the extremes. Love and, and, and Sean Bolts um, wrote a fantastic book about prophecy called Trans- Translating God. And, and, and the whole, I'd really recommend that book, Sean Bolts Translating God. And the whole emphasis he has is that you look at people through God's eyes. You try to see people as God sees them, not according to their past, who they are, or what they have done but you try to see them as Jesus sees them and just speak what Jesus thinks about them over their life. And if you come to people with that attitude of love, you will probably not go wrong. If you come with any other spirit, be really worried about prophesying over them. Don't prophesy over people in anger. Don't prophesy over people with the spirit of judgment. I know somebody who left a church in, in Port Stewart because they didn't do what they wanted them to do. And they went and prophesied all sorts of negative stuff over them. And people 10 years on still talk. They, talk, they actually end up in the vineyard where I was. That's how I know about it. Uh, and, you know, people still talk about that. Like, like she was just angry. And she, she spiritualized her own anger. Just be really wary. And be really careful about words. Even if it's not God, by you speaking some stuff... We just we want to be careful with our words. That the, the tongue has the power of life and death, and so let's you know we don't want to be afraid of that. But we just just if it's not coming from a heart of love, just keep your mouth shut. Probably is the best way. Honestly, until you can look at people and and, and feel love for them, you're better not. Because it says if I can speak in the tongues of angels and fathom all mysteries, but if not love, I'm just nothing. I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Speak to build up. Speak to build up. I love what Jesus did. And I love what God does in the Bible. God speaks to people to build them up. He comes along to Simon. Who's, Simon means reed. And he says, you're Rocky. You're Peter the Rock. He comes along to Gideon who's hanging, hang, ha, hiding in a wine press. He says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. God speaks to us not according to who we are, but according to our potential that he has put within us. 1 Corinthians 14.3, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening and encouraging and comfort. That's really important. Prophetic words should have those three elements, at least one of the three. Strengthen, encourage, and comfort. So you feel God's given you a word for someone? Will this strengthen them? Will it encourage them? Or will it comfort them? And if it doesn't do one of those three, go back and ask, is this really God? And that's not to say at times God will give you, that God won't give you a word. It's not to say that at times God won't give you a word that will be a difficult word to give to somebody. But the goal is never to tear them down or criticize them, but to build them up and move them forward and encourage them. And I emphasize this because while so much good comes from the prophetic, so many people have been hurt through the prophetic. So many people have had prophetic words spoken over them that have not been spoken from the heart of God in love. And there's three key elements. And, and prophetic revelation and prophecy, there's three key elements. We're probably, would this be helpful if this talk went online? Yes? Just because I know there's a lot here. I think we'll put this on our website, okay? So, and there's a lot in this, and I want, I want everyone in the church to, to, to get this if we can. Uh, there's three elements to the way, or there's three stages. The first one is revelation, then interpretation, then application. Revelation, interpretation, application. And if you get this, actually you will get a lot of, of what prophecy is really about. Revelation is simply what God reveals, what God communicates to us. It's the vision or dream. It's what you see. It's the impression you get. It's the inner voice. That's what, it's what God says to you. That's the revelation, okay? Then the interpretation is what does it mean? Revelation, what did God say? Interpretation, what does it mean? 
For example, you have a, a dream or a picture, and it can mean a number of things. Let's say you get a picture of a lion, okay? A lion in the Bible can mean two things. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Our enemy, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion. You need to interpret which one that is. You go to someone, you see a lion and you go, the Satan's after you. When actually what God's trying to say to you is that, 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 that he's your defender, he's your lion. He, you know, and so you, that's the interpretation bit. Two totally different meanings from the same image. Ask God for the interpretation. You get the revelation, you get the picture, you get the word, then say, God, what's the interpretation? And then you move on to the final element application. That is, what do you want me to do with this? What has God said? What does it mean? What do you want me to do with it? There's times when we get a word or a picture for someone that we need to avoid rushing out and telling them it. It might not be the right time. And so wait and see what God wants you to do. God might be telling you it for a different reason than you rushing out and showing this person how great you are hearing God's voice. There may be more to come. Sometimes it's progressive revelation. God gives you two or three parts of it over time. In, in, one, in one church I was in, there was a lovely young couple. I had officiated their wedding. Um, in, the, in the 18 months or so after their wedding, the, the, the wife had three miscarriages. And it got to the stage where... We were chatting and I just said, look, maybe you guys just need to take a break. Just the emotional toll and the physical toll on her body and just all of that. And they they totally agreed. They said, we're going to take a break. We're we're not going to try for a while. Uh, And we felt that was a really good idea. About maybe six months after that one morning, it was that, you know that time where you're kind of in the morning where you're awake but not awake yet? That's in between time. Very often, that's sometimes when God speaks to me. I got this really clear picture of her in a maternity ward with her husband beside her holding a little baby boy. Okay? As clear as could be. That was in the morning. That afternoon, I'm with, I was a curate in Shankill. I was with Jeff Wilson, the rector, that afternoon. And Jeff turns to me over coffee and said, such and such has just contacted me. She's pregnant again. Okay, what do I do with that? The temptation is this. Get on the phone, go, I had a picture for you this morning. I saw you and your husband and you were on a maternity ward holding a little baby boy. That is what you would naturally do. I just felt, you know what, I just, this is too sensitive. Um, and, and so I just need to be really careful here. That was the revelation. The interpretation was pretty obvious. God's going to give you a baby boy. What's the application? Well, last think about it. The last three pregnancies that ended in miscarriage, would it be the wisest thing for me to phone them and say, God, give me a picture this morning of you with a little baby boy? It might encourage them, but what if it went wrong? Like, what if? Like, I know we're all meant to be great people of faith, but we're also pastors and sensitive. Like, what if? What if I tell them that and the next day she miscarriages again? What does that do with her and God? Pastorally, what does that do for my relationship with them? And so I had to say, God, why are you showing me this? Why would you show me this? And I felt him say this, I want you to intercede and pray this couple through every stage of this pregnancy. I want you to stand in the breach, stand and guard for them spiritually until this vision comes to fulfillment. And so for the next eight months, that's what I did. I prayed for them every day. I stayed involved with how things were developing, but I never told them about the picture I had. And eight months after that picture, I had such a joy as I walked into Craig Avon Hospital and saw her sitting in a bed with a healthy baby boy and her husband standing beside her. And you know what she said to me that day? She said, God told you this was going to happen. <laughs> Honestly. I said, how do you know? She says, I just knew by how involved you were and how attentive you were to this. And I said, yeah, he did. And, uh, but but the, it was, it's just that thing about application. We just need to ask God, look, what do you want me to do with this? What has God said? What does it mean? And what do I do with it? And that will really help us. And the other thing is this, test what you hear. Test what you hear. We've talked a little bit about that already. First Thessalonians 5 says this. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. That's really important. Test them all. Hold on to what is good. 
reject every kind of evil. 1 Corinthians 14.29 says this. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. There's nothing wrong with weighing up what is said prophetically to you. It's actually biblical. Two or three prophets should speak, and even if a prophet, a well-known prophet, a famous prophet walks into the room, you still weigh up what they say. Why? Because we prophesy in part. And we ask ourselves, is this in line with Scripture? Is this in line? Because, you know, if, 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 if you're broken, somebody comes up to you, a prophet comes up to you and says, I believe God's telling you to start stealing from Tesco's tomorrow. That is not God. Because the Bible says, do not steal. Is it in line with what I know about God's character? God will not speak to you. You know, when you get to know somebody, imagine you've got a really close friend, okay? Somebody you've known for 10, 15, 20 years. You know them, you love them, you have so much respect for them. And somebody comes up to you and tells you something about them that doesn't line up with what you know about them. There's something within you that goes, I just don't believe that. That's not, that's not my friend. That's not what they do. I, I had a pastor once that somebody came up and, and said something about them to me. It was when I was living in the States. And I just, I just knew that person's character. <laughs> and time has shown that it wasn't true. This is 20 years ago. They made a very strong accusation about something that person had done and it wasn't true. Because I knew their character. And when somebody comes up to you and they say, I feel God sends something, and you just go, that just doesn't feel like the character of God that I read in Scripture. Somebody comes up and they're harsh or really judgmental or really brutal about something, or God's angry with you or something. Like, that just doesn't feel like the heart of God. It's not in line with God's character. And thirdly, the more significant and impacting the word, the more need there is to weigh it up and submit it to other people, godly leadership in the church. Somebody comes to you and says, you know, I feel God's telling you to leave your job, sell your house and move to Africa. You want to check that out. And you know what? And this has really actually been helpful. for most, most, most prophecy is more confirmation than revelation. Most prophecy will confirm two things. It will confirm what you already sense God saying to you and it will confirm what others have already said to you. Yeah? You'll be starting to sense something maybe about moving or doing da 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 da. Maybe you're starting to sense that maybe it's time to leave your job and do something else. And somebody comes along and somebody even you don't know and they say, Look, I just really feel God saying something about your job that there's a change coming. You go, Ha, ah, that makes sense because I felt God saying that to me last week. Or three people come to you. I mean, literally, when I was in my teens, I had three, two or three people come to me and prophesy identically, word for word, the same thing over me in the space of a year. Word for word. People who didn't know each other, had never met each other, and word for word, they prophesied the same thing over me. That was simply confirming, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. But it says this in 1 Corinthians 14. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. Paul says, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. Go after prophecy. And I think it's okay to ask God for gifts. I think it's okay as his children. I was getting the Santa list on the way home from church today, you know. He's not embarrassed about it. It's as long as that list can, you know. And I don't go, how dare you? I do tell him that Santa's got a limited budget this year. Um, but, but I don't get annoyed with him when he asks me for gifts. It's up to me whether he gets them or not. But I, I, That's up to me. But it's up to him whether or not he asks. So if he doesn't ask, he's not going to get. I'm so thankful for the prophetic. I have been strengthened and encouraged and comforted many times. And I know many of you have. And I want this to be a prophetic church. I want the prophetic to be just a beautiful part of our fabric and tapestry as a church. That we are a prophetic church. Prophetic in how we speak to each other. Prophetic in how we engage in the community. I want us to be a prophetic church. So for fear of doing it wrong, don't shy away from it. And the only way to do it, as I finish, is this. 
is to do it. The only way to do it is to do it. You can talk about prophecy all day long. You can read all the books you want. But there comes a point when you've got to open your mouth and start speaking. Somebody has described prophecy as like having a bungee jump, which terrifies me. But you've got to go for it and hope for the best. And I, I'm reasonably new to I know I stand up here and I give you examples. If you notice, most of my examples are from the last six years. Because before that, I, I never really prophesied that much over anybody. It was a, a relatively, probably six, seven years ago was the first time I started prophesying properly over people. And it's actually much harder to prophesy in your own church to people you know. Because you're like, I knew this anyway. That's not really... I find it, I go to other church, like CFC, bring me in any time of the week of prayer and fasting to bring a prophetic word to them. I can do that every time. I find it really hard to do that in a church that I know well. 